it's one of our challenges, especially when it comes to the gender pay gap analysis, where it's like, we don't just want to say, okay, this is your gender pay gap. And, and that's the end of our relationship with the client. It, we want to try and look towards, this is your gender pay gap. Here are your action points. Here's how you can improve. And here's the value you're going to get at the end of that. Once you know what your organization is willing and able um, to pay for certain jobs, mm -hmm. you can go into the processes. So then you can assess, hey, does the individual um, fulfill the requirements of a job? Welcome to The New HR, a podcast for HR professionals who strive for more than just compliance and paperwork. We believe that HR is at the heart of any organization. So our show is all about meaningful conversations with HR tech founders and high performers who are driving change in the industry. From employee journeys to HR platforms and wellness in the evolving corporate world, we cover it all. Now, here's your host, Mark Jackson. Hello, welcome to The New HR. I'm your host, Mark Jackson, and we have an interesting uh, show for you today. We have two guests, uh, Philip, uh, who is the CEO of Gradar, and James, who is the managing director of Gradar. Uh, Philip is the founder and CEO and of Gradar.com, and Gradar is the complete solution to design and manage a job architecture. It's a, an affordable software helps your business perform consistent job grading and establishes fair and transparent pay structures. Philip has more than eight years of experience as a consultant and HR manager with the international enterprises. Philip is an expert in job grading, compensation, benefits, and benchmark. And he's been an invited speaker about equal pay at several HR congresses. James McKay is managing director at Gradar UK, uh, a job evaluation engine, where he's been working full-time since August 2019. I imagine it's been a busy few years with the pandemic, and he has extensive experience in the field and has successfully managed the company's operations for over three years. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Hi. So let's let's dive in, and uh, you know, either you feel, it's free form, so free field, feel free to jump in at, at any point. But um, perhaps Philip, if you could just share a few things about your background and what has brought you to where you are today. Well, um, I started my career at uh, IBM back in 2007 as an intern in an HR department. There, I well, I started with talent management topics, and I quickly realized, well, this is not really what something that I have a deep going passion for. So I went on and joined Watson White back in the days, went with them through the merger to um, Towers Watson, and then left consultancy um, to go into a corporate role as a compensation benefits manager. And I did that for a couple of years um, and was also responsible for HR information systems and kind of had always the passion for the internet or technology in general and then um, well started this second endeavor of, of really learning a lot about rewards and job evaluation and all of these things and then combined this into uh, my own company and the idea was initially um, we called it the open grading system to create an open source grading system but then it uh, quickly became very apparent that people would be willing to pay for a software as a service that delivers a job grading on an international scale. So I um, went all in and um, started the company together with a friend, doing a little more research, um, fine-tuning the, the, the system, and then started with a minimum viable product in uh, late 2015. And we have grown ever since to more than 300 clients worldwide now. They are in countries from A to Z, from Australia to Zimbabwe. James, how about yourself? My background is somewhat different. I'm, I'm certainly no comp expert, but, I, but I'm getting there. So, so Phil and I met probably, yeah, early part of 2019. Um, my background's in marketing, and, and I was running a um, content creation company when I, when I came across Phil. And he said, listen, we've got a... Uh, job grading solution i didn't know what on earth that was i really didn't know but I, but i saw you know this could be a potential decent client for me 
So I um, got in touch and ended up rewriting the initial Gradar website. And, you know, as you'll see over the next hour or so, Phil's just such a friendly, likable guy that soon realized I wanted to work with him as much as possible. And um, yeah, had the opportunity in, in 2019 to, to head up the UK side of things, running the UK contracts and, and combining that with a kind of deeper content creation role at group level. So, um, so yeah, but that's been my journey to Gradar. And yet, what a ride it's been so far and, and hopefully a lot more to come. So I wouldn't have met him in uh, today's uh, time because now there's ChatGPT and there's no need for content writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's a podcast for another time. That's that's a <laughs> big subject. So, can you just give the listeners a summary of what is Gradar and who's using the software and who gets the most value out of it? Good. So, Gradar is a web-based system for um, job evaluation or job grading. So, those two terms are often used as a synonym. Um, some might say it's a point factor-based job grading system because there are points in the background that would be um, uh, collected for each job yeah, to assess the value of the job internally and are then converted into a grading structure. And this grading structure is predefined in our system. And job grading is typically used to determine the value or the worth of jobs in an organization. It doesn't translate directly into um, market data or benchmark data, this is a second step. So you could have this analysis, you could have this grading structure in your organization and then start building um, organization bespoke pay bands that would define the organization's ability and willingness to pay for jobs of a certain worth. So this is a very European approach. Um, which is also used in, in many international companies and many um, public service companies or such as um, municipalities too. American companies, on the other hand, are often driven by a very market-oriented approach where they would use several sources of market data to benchmark their jobs. So for them, it's often not so much about internal equity, but more about um, external alignment with market rates. And we bridge this. So we say, hey, and there's the internal structure. So you can build your pay bands, but you can also translate this into market data. And we have aligned with um, a couple of vendors, such as Culpepper, um, who are able to provide us with market data for the jobs that are um, analyzed and evaluated in our system. Interesting. And you would also use the, the internal analysis, the internal grade structure to determine um, whether you're paying um, equitably when it comes to well, the gender pay gap or when it comes to um, well analyzing the role that, for example, the job family plays. Okay. Just in the second part, in terms just to modify what I asked, in terms of I asked who, who gets the most value out of it, um, could you also share if there's any commonality in terms of the people that find themselves uh, appearing on your doorstep wanting wanting help? Like I just watched a quick video on your website and it showed an Excel spreadsheet, which seemed kind of paralyzing. Like so, the people that come to you, where where are they in 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 their process and? Um, I think it's typically rewards or compensation benefits professionals or HR generalists that are looking to um, optimize their job architecture or to introduce a job architecture. So that's, um, yeah, I think that's our target group in a way. It's less so someone with a background in recruiting or talent management because we are talking to those who um, are really building the structures in an organization. So the job architecture, the grading structure, the pay bands, uh, maybe the the competency model and these things. It's like you said in your intro, Mark, like we see ourselves as the complete solution to design and manage a job architecture. That's really the, the nuts and bolts of what we do. We call ourselves a job evaluation and compensation platform. We've got some great features like competency management, gender pay gap analysis, compensation structuring, benchmarking, et cetera. But really that job grading exercise 
is the foundation of that and, and that's what comes yeah. first. That's how we see it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was also looking at your pricing structure and uh, you guys certainly are offering a lot of value for what you provide. Yeah, I've been telling Phil to hike the prices. <laughs> no, 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 no. So as experts in, in job grading, uh, what are some common challenges that you've seen business businesses face in this area? Um, so I think this isn't a very exciting time for us because end of May the European Union um, finally got an agreement on the new um, pay transparency or equal pay directive and this directive is really asking organizations in Europe that have a minimum number of employees of 250 or 50 um, to analyze the gender pay gap and um, to use a job evaluation system if the gender pay gap is larger than 5% to determine jobs of equal value. So this this is a huge topic. So this is creating a lot of demand and it's definitely um, challenging um, um, many organizations out there. Um, the value that we create for organizations is, yeah, <laughs> this is the German in me talking. It's, it's about bringing order to chaos. Uh, it's it's about building structures. It's about you know, those pay bands. It's about maybe a title structure. It's about um, um, having a foundation for career pathing, and all of these things. So that's um, the the biggest value. It's it's hard to put that in numbers. I mean, you could always argue, hey, there are going to be um, those above the pay band whose salary might be frozen in the future. Um, on the other hand, you might prevent those who are being underpaid from leaving the organization. Um, but it's very difficult to put a number on these things. It's really, uh, I mean, you do that because you want to have, or you want to achieve another layer of maturity in your HR organization. And clarity for the employees, I imagine, as well. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Under, understanding not not having salary and positions be this kind of mystery behind a door so helping people see what the uh, the path is for for their growth as well uh, must be a, a positive effect on overall retention absolutely and um, so we um, built the foundation for tools such as a talent guard or co-brainer um, that would then map the jobs requirements against the employee's current set of skills and experience because that's something that we don't do yeah so we really build the structure but the management of the process anything that goes towards or into talent management is not our cup of tea so this is something that happens in sap success factors or in, in those very specialized tools and that makes our position very unique because there are very few other tools out there that have such a um, deep going understanding of uh, what a job is and how a job aligns with job families and etc. Is there so obviously with the changes in the EU regarding um, pay equity measures? Do you see any other changes coming worldwide? Do you see that that shift in the North American market or anywhere else in in the world as well? Well, yeah, I mean, we we have the um, pay, trans pay, pay transparency directive coming over in the US as well. And I, I think, is it individual to each state? Is it? Um, but yeah, this is something as well that, that we're looking into because we understand that whether we're dealing with Europe, whether we're dealing with USA or, or anywhere else we do business, staying compliant is going to be very, very important for people. And yeah, we look at it as, okay, where can we add value can we add value in just kind of general processes? But ultimately, when it comes to equal pay and pay transparency, you actually need that hard line. Okay, we are remaining compliant, and that's something that that we're looking at. But yeah, I, I think the um, the directives in the EU aren't limited to there. There's some in the US, and and that's something we're looking at as well. We have Greater LLC as well as Greater Limited. So Greater L LLC um, over in New England, Phil, I think. Yeah. Um, which will be focusing on that in, in, in the near future. That's great. Yeah, definitely. I think it would be something of value to people that want to take, um, not necessarily just be compliant with um, the local 
uh, laws or things of that nature. It might be more of a, a leadership, uh, have more of a leadership in, in this. You know, there's so many corporations that are trying to be forward thinking in terms of, you know, diversity and, and being purpose driven and, and being ahead of, of the legislation to be, um, to be more attractive for talent acquisition because this, this, this labor market, you need every arrow in your quiver possible because it's weird. There's layoffs, but it's a tight market and it's the, you, you, you need all of the help you can get really. Yeah, and it's one of our challenges, especially when it comes to the gender pay gap analysis, where it's like, we don't just want to say, okay, this is your gender pay gap, and, and that's the end of our relationship with the client. It, we want to try and look towards, this is your gender pay gap, here are your action points, here's how you can improve, and here's the value you're going to get at the end of that. And we want to create that that lock-in and that long-lasting relationship, which is a client can use Gradar from the very start of the process, creating your roles to then follow through right to the very end where they can actually get some actionable insights on how to become a leading employer or how to retain staff and, and do all of those things that, that they need to do in, in the 21st century. Yeah. And we are part of an ecosystem. So when we design a job, when we evaluate a job, and uh, well, by September, we will also be able to actually have an AI write uh, job descriptions based on these uh, job grading results. Um, we can use this information to feed it into any kind of HRIS, which especially the, the mature ones need, like Workday or SAP SuccessFactors or Oracle. But we can also use this type of information about the, the value of the job to inform um, the analysis that a, um, um, a pay equity tool such as Syndio does. Yeah, because they need that information and they don't have that information um, in, in their own system um, by default so they need it from another source or we can inform the other tools like like i said like talent guard or um, co-brainer um, that would do the mapping between jobs and employees and then um, well inform employees about their career options so it's it's a very unique position that we're in because all the other vendors out there are consultants that have software but also a focus on um, selling consulting days and our focus is on scaling through the number of licenses. So it's a very different approach to um, doing business. I agree. Um, just just to back up just a tiny little bit, so could you explain for people that may, may not be aware about how compensation and benefits tie into the job grading process? James, do you want to take that one? No, you take it. Oh, okay. No, you do. <laughs> um, okay. So job evaluation is about determining the value of a job. And I think here we can differentiate between value and price. So the price of labor is something that um, can come from um, maybe a, a union agreement, from a shop agreement, from a um, labor agreement in, in, in other some countries or industries, or from a market benchmark or from your internal analysis, because every organization kind of knows the price of labor because they are paying people right now. So with the value of the job and an alignment of employees to those grades, um, to those job grades and alignment of market prices or the, the other uh, sources, you really bring value and price together and can start um, determining or building pay bands or internal pay structures. So it's really, um, it's it's about building structures when you start uh, with some kind of job grading exercise. And then once you have the structure in place, once you know the price of labor, and once you know what your organization is willing and able um, to pay for certain jobs, mm -hmm. you can go into the processes. So then you can assess, hey, does the individual um, fulfill the requirements of a job and um, how much are we able and, and willing to pay for someone. And this is then um, what well, you would introduce um, then the process and the structures, which means you're then enabling um, uh, justice in the organization. So we have uh, um, distributional fairness, paying the same for equal work or work of equal value, 
and you're also doing it in, in a transparent and fair way. And both things um, will ensure and ensure that um, well, the management of pay is perceived as uh, being done fairly. And, and that's one of the most important things and the shifts we've seen in the space in recent years is that you need a foundation in point factor-based job evaluation to justify those pay decisions, especially if you're thinking about your gender pay gap or, or equal pay for equal work. If you don't have that basis in job grading, you can get in a rather sticky wicket, as we say here in the UK. It, it, it can cause you problems down the line. Yeah, interesting. It, it, that kind of ties into a, a, a question I was thinking about was, um, and actually you did publish a, a blog post, uh, an amazing blog post on your website regarding inflation and how companies should review their their pay structures. So can you just expand your thoughts on this topic while giving some tips for businesses? We'll include a link to the the LinkedIn post and the blog posts uh, in the future. But I was even wondering, you know, do you, should you be doing this annually, or 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 is it you know is is it reviewed over an ongoing basis? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, truth be told, I didn't read that one. So, <laughs> now the uh, the thing is, um, I think it's best practice or very common practice when you are managing um, pay professionally to do an annual salary review, and this would incorporate um, checking on your let's say on your pay structure whether it's still up to date or whether the, the price of labor um, has changed, be it internally or be it through some external data. So that's one thing. And then you would be looking at um, the individual employees and you would analyze, hey, has someone shown um, a better performance or um, a lot of engagement? Um, so would someone be expecting maybe even a salary increase because they are improving over time? And this is something that is usually done annually. And with inflation, it's clear that we see an increase in the price of labor, which means we organizations might have to adapt um, for their willingness to pay. So that's one thing. And this then has to reflect on um, well, the, indiv in the individual salaries too. And also, we need to take into account, especially if it is an international um, organization, that in some countries there is the requirement to kind of using the watering can across everyone um, to grant an index-based increase of pay uh, so that everybody gets uh, some kind of uh, inflation or index-based increase and that uh, this might reduce your, your budget for a merit-based increase. Um, but this is this is the art of of compensation and rewards management. It's really about balancing the yeah the the, the different requirements of different populations of um, of different budgets of the constraints that an organization has. And um, so I find that it's a it's a very it's a very analytical field mm -hmm. in HR. But there's also the human touch to it because um, well you can't really ignore the individual um, at the end of the day because you might lose someone if you, well, if you don't uh, make the right decision on, on increasing pay or setting the pay rate if, if there's a new hire. You know, there's there's been a lot of chatter in particular in North America, um, probably more on the East Coast US, driven around um, the equity of, of salaries and around where the people are located. So you have mm -hmm. high performers that are in the New York area. They're, you know, earning like say six figure X working in New York city, which is extremely uh, expensive. And now they've relocated to, to leave mm -hmm. Ohio or wherever. And they're doing their, their job remotely. How do you, I know this is a bit of a surprise question, but is, how, how do you, how do you factor in considering elements like that or or should you what's what's the, the the mix there well it's a question for your pay philosophy um yeah. i know that um, our partner carl pepper has the ability to show um, market rates by pay zones mm -hmm. so you would get a um, different um market rate for for a job in, in new york 
or pay zone one uh, compared to Little Rock in Arkansas. So this this is something this this type of data is available, but um, and the same would be true when you look at data, let's say in in Germany. So uh, southern Germany with Munich definitely has a different level of pay than uh, going to to Dresden or Leipzig in, in eastern Germany. Um, but the question is. Um, what do we pay for? Do we pay for the the labor that is provided? And I mean, everyone does play their role in this big organizations. Everyone is a little cogwheel in this this uh, large organization. Um, the and and if if there's if you can say, hey, James, through his position, delivers a certain value to the organization. Then why not pay this person the same everywhere? Well, where does it stop? I mean, does it stop at um, the national border? So, what about Canada? What about Mexico? Um, cost of living in Mexico might be much lower, and the market rate in, in um, Mexico might also be uh, much lower than in the United States. What we have seen recently is that that many organizations, especially American organizations, that are not very mature yet, like startups. They tend to pay American rates to employees that are based in Europe. So, actually, I was in Barcelona last week, and I met someone through a friend, and she works for an American startup, and has this um, California-based pay, but lives in Barcelona. This obviously drives up rents and <laughs> the costs, uh, the cost of living for others in Barcelona, because she's able to afford uh, things that um, she wouldn't be a. a um, able to afford in California. <laughs> and this is a very interesting development, and I don't think that this um, type of development is um, very sustainable. So I think there still needs to be some kind of um, localization factor. And it's definitely the, the, the major one is based on, on country. And if you're in a very large country, you could really go state by state or maybe even city by city. The problem is there's not a lot of data to support this information. The deeper you go into a certain um, geographical area, the less information is available to to justify some kind of um, yeah, decision. And we, we are completely aware of this because within the Gradar system, you can create locations and populations and you can build pay bands specific to location, which can give you a bit more control over you know, how you're running your rewards processes. So yeah, but the, it's definitely something that, that needs to be considered. And then the funny thing is that you might even have to differentiate based on the type of job. So if we're looking at unskilled or semi-skilled labor, which is very local, there's not a lot of competition for those um, job holders. But if you're looking at a professional labor or management uh, roles, then um, you're facing national or even international competition. So this might be then the, the great equalizer. The more mobile or the more remote capable um, tasks are, the more likely it might become that um, um, yeah, the, the, the level of pay will also equalize over time. Interesting. Okay. Um, could you give us a bit of background in terms of some of the challenges that companies face when they're trying to achieve equal pay and how to best overcome them. The, um, it's, it's a cultural thing. If an organization uses or hasn't done or managed um, pay professionally in the past, then it is quite certain that once you start analyzing for your, for the gender pay gap, you're going to see a rather large gender pay gap. Be it an unadjusted gender pay gap that is just comparing um, an average of all male job holders with the average of all female job holders, or an adjusted gender pay gap that would take into account um, a grade, for example, or a grade and job family through regression analysis. The the and this is something, um, speaking from, from our practical experience, the more conservative an organization is, the more likely it is that uh, 
female job holders are on lower level jobs and that all um, upper management or actually all management jobs are predominantly held by men. And this is the glass ceiling we are talking about. And as long as the organization doesn't smash this glass ceiling, and as long as the top management doesn't take care that there are more women in higher ranking jobs, um, then it will be very, very difficult for them to really achieve um, that equal pay or reduce the gender pay gap. From my own experience, I can tell that, uh, I mean, my wife, um, we just said our th third uh, child, and um, well, she said that she wanted to return and um, after six months which is rather early for um, a German um, mother um, in a 32-hour capacity per week. And this is something her employer denied, which is totally strange because um, the regular working hours are 40 hours. Um, so this, this was a lot that she offered. And, um, well, you know, we, we didn't want to, to argue about this uh, or go to court. So we said, okay, she's going to start working for us, which is a great... Um, thing for the next 18 months, I would say. Um, but this kind of shows that as long as organizations do not accept that there are young parents, well, we are not that young anymore, but as long as there are parents that um, maybe not, might have to reduce their, their working hours for a couple of years, and um, if they don't support this, then we are facing major cultural issues. And they are missing out on talent and they are missing out on change. And this is this is happening all the time. This is not just happening to us. This is also happening um, around the globe um, to many women out there um, who are not being uh, treated um, fairly in a way. I think on a more granular level as well, just thinking about the kind of clients that we work with, one of the big challenges is just visibility over the data. I mean, we're very fortunate that when you use the Great R system, you grade your roles, you can upload employee data, pseudonymized, and then you can view your gender pay gap. With the regression analysis, you can see the adjusted gender pay gap. You can see distribution of salaries um, by men and women, by grade. And this is the data that if you haven't done that process of job evaluation beforehand, you just don't have. And it can be sure. a bit jarring and you just don't have that knowledge of where to improve and how to move forward. So I think, yeah, there, there are obviously, like Phil explained so, so well, there are cultural issues, but actually on a very base level, if you just don't have the visi visibility into the data, then you don't, you don't know what the next stages are anyway. Absolutely. And, and many organizations don't want to have that kind of visibility. And that's why it's a great idea of the European Union to say, hey, we are forcing you to report the gender pay gap. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's a social revolution. And we've seen it in New York too with, with the pay transparency we mentioned earlier. Like these are the way the winds are blowing. And I look, it's good news for us because we, we feel that now that the need for radar will increase. It certainly has increased in the EU and we expect it to do so in the US as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you don't jump on the train, it's, it's going to leave you behind. So talking about the train, um, you know, you, you guys have spoken about equal pay at several HR workshops and events. How do you see the conversation around equal pay evolving over the next few years? So I think that the most common theme is about the gender pay gap. And um, there's going to be more legislation about uh, reporting and um, compliance. Some of the legislation is not very smart. So that's definitely an issue, um, but uh, things are changing. And the European Union is a huge market with um, 400 something a million uh, um, um, people living there. And we can see that many states in the United States are doing something very similar. But this is not just in those states. Uh, we see countries like Kenya that are very interested in, in, in the gender pay gap. We, and we see it in, in, in other countries happening as well, even in the UK, which is not part of Europe anymore, apparently. Um, <laughs> So things are definitely changing. Um, the, the next step um, when it comes to um, equal pay is maybe to take into account um, other protected categories like race or um, 
well, yeah, let's let's stick to race. I mean, this is something. This this is a word that's not great to hear from from a German uh, talking about race. And that this is, for example, information that you wouldn't collect in, in most European countries. But when I look at South Africa, when I look at the United States, you have that information in your databases. So um, you could start calculating a race-based pay gap. And tools like Syndio, they already do this. But to date, this is something for the very um, avant-garde Uh, enterprise out there so this is not something that um, your your normal organization would do and phil phil as well i sorry mark i'm taking over your role as question master but I, i'd be keen to hear your views because we ha we've had a couple of demos where people have said like in, in the system we basically have two genders we have male and we have female it's very much a, a, a binary system <laughs> and we've had some questions around transgender non-binary yeah. that kind of thing what, what do you think about that film where do you see that changing if if it does as well yeah so we, we have the ability to to upload this information so we could um mark um, a job holder as or incumbent as non-binary and um, the reality is out of the tens of thousands of data points that we have we don't have a single one that was marked as non-binary um so it is an issue and things are changing. I recently talked to a teacher at my daughter's school and, and he said, well, um, they now have two or three kids out of 750 identifying as um, non-binary. And I mean, this was unheard of uh, during the last couple of decades. Um, it was quite common in, in the old Roman and old Greek times, yeah, but, <laughs> but it, it hasn't been for hundreds of years. So, so this is definitely something popping up. And I think this, uh, these people they will be entering the workforce at, at some point in the future so um this will definitely something that we are facing but in in my 15 years of, of working i've met one non-binary person in the workplace and that was it um so it's it's a cultural thing and i think it makes sense to talk about this and to create and raise awareness but it hasn't really arrived yet in the workplace um, apart from maybe some very, very advanced organizations. Okay. Interesting. How, how, so, so tell me, at Gradar, how, Phil, how do you approach leadership and management within your own organization? Goals. Some clues throughout the talk. He'll write. He'll write a message to ChatGPT saying, "Please write a motivational message to my fa," and then he'll copy and paste it in the Slack channel. That's usually what. Happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to answer this on behalf of Phil because he, he's not great at blowing his own trumpet. But I think Phil's approach to management, and especially for for me, who I've come into the company um, really at, at a fairly high level, considering my experience. Like I came in as managing director of the UK entity, which is still small. But it's still, you know, a decent amount of responsibility. Phil is very much a leave laissez-faire in in the positive way. So he he kind of lets you get on with stuff and gives you the the freedom to to explore and and to make mistakes and and to improve things. Um, but he's also right behind you to to give you a helping hand and, and to guide you in the right direction. He's he's very much the brains of the platform. And I think you'd admit you're not necessarily a man manager. At your heart, but I think you you've definitely managed to to build a really small team that's that's tight knit and everyone knows their roles and, and and everyone kind of looks to you for for guidance. And I think you've done you've done a cracking job considering you just spend most of your time in your basement building building software. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Now, I, I think James, you just increased a, a pay band with that. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. That that was my uh, that was my target for the session. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you balance, uh, Phil, maybe could you share on this? How do you balance the needs of, of the business with the needs and concerns of, of employees when making decisions about pay and benefits? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's very easy. I, I don't pay myself much. So <laughs> everything that we earn goes into the pockets of the employees. Um, I think that's that's another thing. Um, employees come first, or team members come first, 
and this is something that is that's very important to me in our organization um but well you know at some point i might have to increase my own salary too but um we are not there yet um and i think we are actually paying market going rates that uh, compete with uh, larger organizations not with the fangs like facebook and 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 uh, google etc because they are <laughs> off the charts but um with with other organizations definitely and we are probably even paying better than most startups and scale-ups um, um that we compete with so that's that's one thing and this is really put about putting employees first and giving them a lot of freedom uh, to act and um take personal leave whenever they need to to pick up their kids from school from kindergarten or whatever so this is something that we do internally and this is probably the the humanist uh, speaking at me and this is something that when we build pay bands for organizations or when we help them with that this is also something um, that that always plays a role kind of putting employees first within the limits of the budget and just touching on leadership, almost sure. yeah, absolutely. And, and just kind of on the point before as well, it almost sounds cliche, but Phil has built a, a family, and 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 Gradar, like I said, is a very tight knit team. Um, you know, I think there's 15 of us all told, um, and it very much has been an employee first mentality. And the development of the software is still a priority, um, and we're always looking to move forward. But fundamentally. It's about keeping those employees happy and making sure that everybody understands their roles and and and, and feels valued. And I think that's something that Phil has done very, very well. Uh, and the same is true for our 50-plus partners that we have across the globe. So we met uh, our partners in Barcelona last week for the first time. Um, and just before COVID hit, um, I, I went to Romania to meet our partner there. Um, so this is definitely something we are responsible for building a software that our partners can use to to earn their livelihood. And this is a responsibility we don't take lightly. Uh, so this it is important and we have partners that depend on us um, yeah, to make a living. So it's not just those 15 people in our organization, but it's those 100 or 150 out there using Gradar um, yeah, in their projects. And look, we want to have fun. You know, I think that's something that I've noticed coming into the organization is that we are we are software lovers at heart and we want to have fun developing it. We want to meet people. We want to do podcasts like this. We want to go and visit our partners and we kind of want to build a, a fun way of doing business with a bit of a disruptive product. And I think that's what kind of keeps us driving on is that, yeah, okay, we're enjoying the progress the software's making. We want to make more license revenue, but actually we do want to have fun and we do want to enjoy what we do. And I think we do. But he does, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you work twice as hard as me, that's why. So looking ahead, what what plans do you have for Gradar? You, you recently announced your updated user interface and, and you actually talked about some September plans. Any new feature developments that in the works that you can share? How long have you got? Because Phil will go on for hours, <laughs> especially about AI. That's what that's that's what's next, right? Well, share what you'd like yeah. to share. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that there are some strategic initiatives. So, one initiative is um, to build more interfaces to HRS because it's finally possible to do this. I'm just, I mean, I've always imagined using some kind of smartphone technology or tablet technology to stay in touch with other people. Just yesterday evening, I talked to someone in Alaska in real time with high definition video uh, chatting about um, benchmark data and all of these things. So it's just amazing what you can do nowadays. And, um, and the same is true when you start connecting to other systems through. I mean, I started building integrations based on CSV files that were uploaded to an FTP server somewhere <laughs> and then downloaded again and passed into another system. So this happened overnight and was no way in, in real time. And now you have this uh, REST-based technology, you have those webhooks um, to actually exchange data in real time. And we have found a partner in Combo Dev, a 
Y Combinator backed startup from Berlin, and they act as our middleware so that we connect through them to other systems. So this is super exciting. Um, this is a focus. And the other thing is because we want to have a complete solution for a job architecture, and a big part of a job architecture is the job description. Um, we have just completed our um, research and design phase for this AI-driven <laughs> job description generator. And it's basically using the information from our um, grading factors that are very qu qualitative. Those are prompted into the interface from ChatGPT or Google Bard or other systems that are suitable. And then you will get back a complete job profile with core tasks and duties, with technical skills, with everything that others have in a, in a static database here it's being recombined in, in, in almost in real time. And the exciting thing is, I mean, we did a test just last week and where we put into the system a chef, so someone in charge of a kitchen for a, you know, for a fast food restaurant that does a lot with potatoes and fries and stuff. And the funny thing is, it was not a generic chef description of the core tasks, but it was actually made in line with the company name. So it was about cutting potatoes, boiling them, frying them, and so preparing the sauce for the fries. So this is absolutely amazing what, what uh, artificial intelligence can do today. And we are exploring this and we're going to turn this into a product um, by September. So this has another high priority. And apart from that, I mean, there are always improvements to be done, but those are the things um, before we start going into you know, more work on reporting for the gender pay gap and so on as required by the European Union or other legislators. This will be another topic down the road. But AI, big thing this year. Interesting. I've never doubted the ability of Phil and the team to drive the software forward. What With my marketing hat on, what I want to achieve in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months is I want us to be part of the con I want us to be part of the conversation and to have a seat at the table. And I think we have, I mean, you know, blowing our own trumpet, we have an amazing software and I just want more people to know about it. And I think what's coming next for us through these integrations with success factors and, you know, new partnerships with, with Culpepper and, and TMA, competency library, things like that we need to have a seat at the table so we can actually be seen as a serious player in this industry because if you are looking at job evaluation or compensation we can do it all and we can do it really well and i just want to shout that from the rooftop so while phil works away on the on the software development i i'm going to try and push us more in, in into the everybody's field of view sure absolutely what would you say is probably the future uh, of your space in the HR industry. I normally ask five to 10 years from now, but that seems a little long, maybe a year or two. What What are your thoughts for the future? It's, it's, there's a lot going on. I mean, there are new vendors like BetterComp out there. So BetterComp, um, for example, is a super modern software that um, facilitates easy uh, use of market data from various sources. And it's especially great for large corporations. Um, there are tools out there like um, Rabio or Figures that um, collect data from startups and scale-ups. So they have a very specific target. There are tools like um, that, like TalentUp.io that would collect uh, pay information from various sources that are public information and then compi compile uh, market rates through it. So there's a lot of investment in this pay space going on at the moment. I mean, valuations have fallen. So when I look at PAVE, I think uh, they they um, don't remember exactly what they were evaluated at, but I heard that um, their valuation went down a lot because there are some doubts nowadays about um, the sustainability of those business models. Um, still, this is the future. And even the classic consultancy firms, they understand this nowadays. So they are investing into technology. I mean, they are still dependent on consulting income. 
and they have this very high price point for any tech type of technology that they would sell and would only make it available if you are a um, or client of their consulting services. But still, there is a lot happening, and I also see the room for consolidation. I don't think that um, Ravio is going to survive the next couple of years because um, Figures HR had this first mover advantage in, in Europe. And they will have a hard time um, getting an additional round of financing, I guess. Um, and the same is probably true for for many of those independent compensation vendors. Um, many management teams are rather old, um, often in their 60s, because they started this in the in the 70s or 80s. So they are now ready to hand this over to the next generation, but they haven't really invested a lot into technology, which means they are yeah probably up for for being bought from competitors or larger vendors. So consolidation is definitely in another uh, stream um, that, is, that's, that, is, that is happening at the moment. So and technology, yet another one. And um, I think other countries or other regions um, are also catching up. I think there's a lot of going on in Africa with a very young population and uh, very interesting developments in, 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 in different markets. So um, interesting. But much of sense. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. James, how about from your perspective, maybe through marketing lenses, what do you think is going on with the industry in the next? I think, well, for, for looking at it from Gradar's perspective, I think our future in the next 10 years in, in the space is going to rely on our partner network. I think that, you know, we are definitely doing well in the space right now. But for us to grow, I think in terms of marketing, I want to reach out to as many partner networks as possible. Um, especially in the US where we haven't really embedded ourselves fully yet. We have a handful of clients over there. Um, but I definitely see that as as the key. I think the independent rewards consultants are going to be in for um, a good few years ahead. And if they can use a software like Gradar to sell more hours and, and improve their offer, then I think that could be the key to, to our growth over, over the next few years. That's great. Thank you. So what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll make sure I am include links to your LinkedIn profiles and to gradar.com. Any other information that we should include in terms to sharing with people? Um, Gradar Learn actually is is something I want to give a shout out to. So something that I've been working on over the last few months, if you go to gradar.com, um, in the nav bar, there's a little drop down called Learn. Um, we implemented this in, in the last few months just to kind of give people a bit of a hub where they can learn about the platform um, completely free of charge. Um, we have some blog articles in there. Um, we have some case studies and use cases from previous clients. But best of all, we have videos, so on-demand demos. So for each of our individual features, whether it's the grade our logic, grading a job, market benchmarking, you can watch two-minute videos um, completely free that kind of explain the process and, and give some best practice tips and things like that. Um, so if you were going to take anything away from from listening to this, I'd say check out Gradar Learn and, and and see a bit more about what we do and, and how we can help. There's a shameless sales pitch there for you. <laughs> um, so thank you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for your uh, time today. Uh, very much appreciated. And uh, just also wanted to uh, leave uh, a closing message for all of the uh, kids out there, whether they're young or old to, and especially for my kids, to uh, stay curious. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for tuning in to The New HR. We hope this episode has given you some fresh perspectives and practical ideas for improving your workplace. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to connect with us. And before you go, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel so you don't miss any episodes. Until next time.